Return to the Word is made possible by faithful supporters like you. Find out more at returntotheword.com. Welcome to the broadcast ministry of Return to the Word with Pastor Mark Fontecchio, advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now, here is pastor and author Mark Fontecchio. This morning, our study is going to be unlike any study that we've ever done before here. Now, the reason why I say this is we are continuing our series on the Church of Jesus Christ. And so far in this study, we have looked at the present dispensation, the church age. We have looked at that. We have looked at the founding of the church in Matthew, where Christ said he would in the future build his church. Therefore, Israel is not the church and the church is not Israel. Last week, we looked at the bride of Christ from Ephesians 5. This morning, our topic at hand is the family of God. And unlike all the other studies we've done from the pulpit in the last five years that I've been here, we do not have an actual home passage that we're camping out on. It's unusual for us. This is the first time in five plus years that we have not walked through a single, single passage in scripture, a single text that we're walking through. And we're just going to do that for one Sunday because I want to spend our time on the topic at hand that is scattered throughout the New Testament. These are white rhinos in Peelinsburg Park, a South African game preserve. And at least 39 of them have been found slaughtered in their native habitat. Now, the first assumption was that poachers were the killers of these remarkable beasts. But once park officials started looking a little deeper at it, they started looking at this, they discovered that all of the horns, the valuable horns that poachers would be sure to take, they were still on the dead bodies of these animals. So they started tagging and tracking animals to try to catch up to the killers, and they put up hidden video cameras. But the game wardens were amazed when they discovered that it was not poachers that were killing these animals. It was these guys, young bull elephants, that were harassing, harassing the rhinos without provocation. Now, it's not natural for elephants to do this. This is kind of strange. This is a little weird. These teenaged elephants got unruly. They were chasing these white rhinos down over long distances. And they were actually with their trunks throwing sticks at them, throwing sticks and stomping them to death. But why? What, what made these elephants so unruly, so angry? What was the problem? Well, the answer goes back to a decision that was made 20 years before. The problem actually started over in Kruger National Park where they had too many elephants. And the park couldn't sustain the population of the elephants. So the park officials decided in their wisdom to transport some of them to the preserve, to the Peelinsburg Preserve. Now, the elephants too large to transport were killed, including a significant number of the mature bulls. And so I just want you to think about what happened. The elephants that were transferred, the elephants that were guilty of killing the rhinos, they matured without the influence and without the presence of mature bulls. These young male elephants filled with testosterone, they were not held in check by older males 
and they became violent. They became very violent. So in order to preserve the white rhino population, park officials actually killed five of the most aggressive young bull elephants, and then they brought in some older bulls in an effort to influence the remaining young males. And these young males quickly learned with older bulls around that they were no match for the mature elephants. They got a little smackdown, and the older bulls began to assume their place among the herd. And as the fathers and as the leaders and the ones to enforce discipline on the young bulls when they got out of line. Do you hear me, young men? The younger and aggressive bulls could no longer impose their unchallenged and immature bullying. And eventually the young bulls began to follow the older ones, and it became apparent that they enjoyed these new relationships with the older, more mature males. And they, so they yielded to their leadership to live a, a more stable, more normal life. And since then, there has not been any report of dead rhinos since the arrival of these mature elephants. Now, I don't really care about elephants. I don't really care about rhinos. But I could just as easily be talking about life in the church of Jesus Christ. Because the absence of mature leadership The absence of a clear understanding of the purpose of the local church of Jesus Christ, the absence of direction, it is having a devastating impact upon the lives of believers. See, because when mature Christian men and mature Christian women do not assume their responsibility in the body of Jesus Christ, the younger, more energetic, but more immature ones take their place. And they are not equipped for the task that is before them. And it has resulted in the death of local churches all throughout our land. Immaturity in the faith wrecks lives and it wrecks churches. If we could point to one issue above all others that lies at the root of most of the problems that face our church, churches in this nation, it would be this. Believers in Jesus Christ have not grown up to maturity and continue to behave like spoiled children. Church history is littered with church splits, disagreements, divisions that have caused untold damage to the work of Jesus Christ. And so what we're doing here is we're going through this church series with intention, and we are going to identify today and next week and maybe the week after four roles, four primary functions of the local church. These are the very reason that we gather. These are the reason we are here. And then we're going to discuss church leadership and the equipping and training role of the church of Jesus Christ. But for this morning, the first aspect of the church that I want to address is the church as a family, the church as a family. Now, you may not think This is an important subject, but I beg to differ. I think this is of vital importance to everything we do here as a church. In this family, God is our Father. And the life that we are to have in Jesus Christ is modeled for us in Jesus, His Son. It is Paul that tells us in Romans 8, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, What? Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, if you think about a family, God's intention is that as children grow up, they grow up to become mature in the family. 
And the breakdown of the family unit, our earthly families in this country, is nothing more than a demonic assault on God's character and God's nature. Much of what is happening to the family in this country does not reflect God's heart. But the same is true in the church. See, God's intention in the church of Jesus Christ is that God's children are to be raised to maturity in the family, in the household of faith. It's one of the reasons we have church membership, because you cannot deny from the New Testament that the first century church knew who belonged to the household of faith and who didn't. They they knew that. Because the church is for believers. I'm sorry, that is just the truth. The church is for believers in Jesus Christ, for the family of God. The church, I love Dan and Patty and their music and how much they have blessed our church, but the church is not here to entertain you. We are not a circus. We're not here to have a clown show. This is not here to entertain you. It is here for the work of Christ amongst his people. So with membership, what are we trying to do? Well, we're trying to discern to the best of our ability of whether or not you belong to the family or not. We're trying to discern. You remember what Paul told the elders of the church of Ephesus in Acts 20? He said this, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, this is the scary part, from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. This means that at the very, very least, we need to be on guard watching for people who want to rip apart the church and people who want an audience. Notice that. Notice that who want, as Paul says, to draw away the disciples after themselves. There's always somebody coming into the church wanting to draw away an audience after themselves. But look at Paul's words in Timothy, 1 Timothy 3. Paul says this. He says, these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in what? The house of God which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Look at how pervasive this is in the New Testament that the church is a family. How could you miss it? Well, by not reading your Bible, that's how you could miss it. But notice the instruction. There's a specific way that we should behave with God's people because the church of the living God is the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, this does not mean that the church is a source of God's truth. No, friends, it does not. That's not the intended meaning by God. But rather, the idea, Christians, is what we do and how we do it here matters because the church supports, upholds God's truth. See, in a lost and dying world, the church of Jesus Christ is to be proclaiming God's word, his holy truth. This is why I don't even waste my time on churches that don't teach the word of God. I don't even waste my time. I don't know why you would as a believer in Jesus Christ, because those churches are missing a huge part of their mission. First Peter 4.17. And notice the contrast in this verse between believers and those who do not obey the gospel. Peter says, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. Believers, right? Believers. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God. See, what I'm telling you is this. 
if I've never heard of your testimony of saving faith, if Carson's never sat down with you or I've never sat down with you and we've never heard your testimony of what God has done in your life, how he brought you to salvation, how do we know whether or not you belong to the family of God or not? We don't. If we have made anything clear in this church is that there's a lot of false gospels being taught out there. A ton of false gospels being taught out in this land today. We want to make sure that our people, especially those in leadership, that they belong to God. I don't think that's a big ask. Galatians 6.10, it says this, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to who? To those who are of the household of faith. See, the simple thought is that the church is the family of God made up of regenerated believers in Jesus Christ. Now, this little simple statement that the church is the family of God, this little simple truth from Scripture is one of the most transformational principles that helps us to have a strong local church. If you understand that the church is for believers, that helps us to have a strong church. There's been a number of you that have told me, a number of you that have told me, that the first time you walked through these doors, you knew you were home. Yeah, Nikki, I'm thinking of you. You've told me that. You've told me that. There's been a number of you that have told me that. That the first time you walked through these doors, you knew you were home. Why? Why? It's because we believe this. It's because we believe we're the family of God. That's why we believe it with all our heart. People have a need out there today. People are desperate. Have you noticed how desperate this world is? People are desperate to belong to something. People are becoming more isolated, more and more isolated, living more as individuals today instead of as families. It is one of the fundamental breakdowns of our culture. In fact, you can actually prove this. Google has a cool tool. I don't like Google at all. I don't like Apple. I don't like Facebook. I don't like most of the internet. But Google does have a cool tool, okay? Google has a database of millions of books. They took all the books, because Google's evil and Google can do these type of things. They took all the books from the year 1500 to the present and scanned them in. Okay, and they have amazing technology. I'll give them that. They scanned, it's called Google Books Ngram. If you've ever seen it, you can waste a lot of time on that. You type in a search word into their database and discover how often words have been used over the centuries. It's fascinating because you see the change of language over the centuries. In fact, in it, you can see the rise of individualism throughout the ages. In the past 50 years, individualistic words have risen dramatically. What do I mean by this? Well, for example, words like self, me, personalized, or even phrases like, I can do it myself. These phrases and words are on the rise, but other words and phrases are decreasing dramatically. Words like church, dropping off the rock, or phrases like common good being used much less often. Words like gratitude, modesty, humbleness, patience, and faith. These words have all dropped significantly. Because over the past 50 years, society has become more individualistic, focused on self, me, myself, and I. And this is the contributing factor to some of the social breakdowns that we see in this land, in this country. And believers in Jesus Christ are bringing this mindset into the church. We don't value strong relationships anymore. 
And so people are disconnected and lonely. And this is all because of the fall of man. But God doesn't want it to be that way. Look at Psalm 68, verses 5 and 6, some cool little verses. It says, A father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God sets the solitary in families. Notice that. God sets the solitary. What is that saying? It's saying that God sets the lonely in families. That's cool. That's really cool. See, God doesn't want you to go through this life alone. It's not healthy. It's not God's intention. But God also realizes that in a broken world, in a broken culture, and not everyone is going to have a family that believes on Jesus Christ. So in this present age, God has provided the church to be that family for believers. And we understand that in a family, we have obligations. Everyone has responsibilities to one another. Families are messy, unless you guys are better than us. Families are messy. We just had Thanksgiving. Come on, families are messy. People are at different stages of growth and maturity, but that's part of the joy. If you think of an earthly family, babies and small children can be chaotic. I'm glad we're past that stage, Angie. They can be disruptive, but you got to admit their innocence and their laughter, it brings you joy, brings a lot of joy. Teenagers, can I get a witness? (laughs) I mean... They can be obstinate and they can be argumentative, but there's something powerful about seeing a boy become a man or a woman, a young lady becoming a woman. In the same way, in the church of Jesus Christ, seeing older members of the flock caring for and passing on their wisdom to the younger believers, that is precious in the sight of God and of man. Don't misunderstand me this morning. In the church family, we're not concerned so much about your physical age. I don't care what your physical age is. I care about your maturity in Jesus Christ. See, old people can be babes in Christ too, just as much as a young person. And in the family of God, you may have a younger person that is more mature in the faith than an older saint. That happens. Family of God is intended to provide a safe place for people to grow, to mature. One person I know of, and I am holding their name back for a reason, but when they came to realize that they were a drunk in life, and then they came to faith in Christ for eternal life, their first impulse when they went to church was this, and I quote, they said, my God, I don't want to get sober and worship with God with these nutcases. Some of the people are boring, they said. Some people have strange thoughts on politics and taste in music, food, books. Nothing shadows our egos like worshiping with people we did not handpick. Or as I like to tell people, you don't get to pick your dodgeball team. (laughs) Right? They went on to say, there is humiliation in discovering that we are thrown in with extremely unpromising people. Hey. People who are broken, misguided, wishy-washy, out for themselves. People who are us. But we don't come to church to be with people who are like us in the way that we want them to be. We come because we've staked our souls on the fact that Christ, Jesus Christ, is the way, the truth, and the life. And church is the best place, the only place to be while we all struggle to figure out what that means. We come because we are hard-pressed to say which is the bigger of the two scandals of God, that he loves us 
or that he loves everyone else in the church. (laughs) They got that right. They got that right. The life in the family of God and truest to its form, it is a family. As we often say, once a part of the family of God, always a part of the family. But just as a parent would have concerns if their child never matures, so it is that we should have concerns if our brother and a sister in Christ never grows, never matures. A family is meant to encourage one another. You should have a family like that. Families speak words of hope, encouragement. They, they build one another up. The negative person in the family destroys the family life. Family life should be a safe place where you are secure and protected. Harsh words hurt the family. If you want to help, take interest in other people in the family. And not only pray for them, but encourage them. Not with just meaningless words. I'm not just saying walk around with platitudes and meaningless words. Don't do that. That doesn't help anybody. We can all see through that. But when you see someone growing in Jesus Christ, encourage them. Or when you see a brother or sister in Christ take a hard stand in life for Jesus Christ, encourage them. And if you don't come with that mindset to this church, you are coming with the wrong mindset. The family is to be united in heart, in mind. The gospel is supposed to bring peace between God and man and between God's people. See, there is power in standing together in agreement with one another about the truth of Christ. It makes the church of Christ a formidable force in this world. And just as our physical family should be united, so should the family of God. But we do know this. The devil's always seeking to divide us as a people. He's always seeking to separate us. And so the problem that comes in a church this size is that when people give him ground in the church. Now, in in our family, at our house, in our earthly family, when one of us is away, they are missed. They are missed deeply. I think there's one exception to that. It's when I'm gone for several weeks at a time. I I miss my wife deeply. I call her and tell her, but I I really do think she she enjoys the break. That's weird, huh? When Hannah is gone at school, we keep in touch because we miss her. That is how it is with family, right? And this should be true here with the church family. Now, as I mentioned before, the, the word ecclesia, church, the church is not a spectator sport. Get that into your mind. You should be thinking about your church family, even when we are apart. Your heart should ache. It should long to be together as the family of God. And in that same vein, the family should want to celebrate together. We should want to celebrate our Lord and Savior together. Now, in our home, we love to celebrate birthdays. We make a big, big deal about birthdays at our house. And Thanksgiving, love Thanksgiving. We love New Year's because I'm a pyro and I love fireworks. And I love that in Alaska, you can blow things up. But there's no sense of obligation. Like, man, I can't, can't believe I got to go spend time with them again. Like, man, I can't believe I got to go celebrate again because we love to be together. We camp, we hike, we fish, we bike, we live life together because we build those memories together. And that is one of the greatest things, fathers, you can give your children, those memories. But this should be the attitude of the heart with your church family. You shouldn't feel like you have to come to church. You should feel like you get to be here. Like you get to be here. Like you are privileged to be here. And in this day and age, I'm sorry, but the very fact that we have the freedom to sit here and meet and worship God, we are privileged friends. 
We are very privileged. We're not running for our lives right now. We're privileged to be able to open up the word of God and worship our Savior, celebrating the grace of God in our lives. But here's the thing. If you're not here, you can't celebrate with us, can you? You can't. I think a lot of Christians forget that Jesus Christ came to give us a life of abundance. I have some great memories with God's people. And the more you come, the more you'll get to have great memories of our time together as the body of Jesus Christ. Jesus said this in John 10, 10, he says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it. What? Yeah. Abundantly. What does that mean? Abundant life. It means Jesus didn't just simply come to gain sheep. He didn't do that. He didn't just come to give you eternal life, believer. Now, this is not about wealth. This is about abundant life centered in Jesus Christ. It's a rich life centered in him, meant to be lived out with his people. I am one that did a lot of stupid things before my salvation in Christ. And if you hang out with me, a lot, you'll start to hear some of the stories of the funny things, the stupid things I did before salvation in Christ. But I'm going to tell you something else. I honestly did not start living my life until I met my Savior and His people. If you don't enjoy being with God's people, living out the life He's given us, is it possible you have let the thief steal your joy? Is that possible? When you come here, that is what you should be saying. We're here to be family. Being family means we should be growing. It means we should be maturing together. Families understand that their children are at different stages in life. We have two adult children. We also have doodles, a 10-year-old. In different seasons of life, but they're all, all of them are moving forward in their development and maturity. Because if you have a child that is not growing, what does that do? That puts a burden, a strain on the family. And with each stage of life comes a new measure of responsibility. And if a family member doesn't carry on their responsibilities, then that's a problem, isn't it? Then other people in the family have to pick up the strain. Do you remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 11? He said, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. There's a fascinating study on what this means and what this is about. We'll save that for another day. Regarding spiritual gifts in the church of Christ, but we can definitely take some applications from it for today. And it tells us that life in the family of God costs us something. Not to get into the family, that's free, that's by faith, right? But there's a cost to live up to the responsibility that you have as a believer in Jesus Christ in the family of God. There's a cost. It means you should live an honest and transparent life in the family. You know, I don't like it if I had a child in my, my, my earthly family that lies to me, an earthly family member that would lie to me. I don't like it anymore when church members lie to me. No one here does. The cost of being family means we're supposed to be here to encourage one another. But this means you have to learn, Christian, to think beyond yourself. You don't get up thinking about, hey, what's in it for me? You have to think beyond yourself. You have to come to church and put a guard over your mouth. Be kind, 
Go the extra mile for someone else. To be united in heart and mind, it means we take up the mindset of Christ by being a servant. So put aside your preferences. Put aside your agendas. Don't come here, Christians, with a plan to change the church to how you think it should grow. Because if I get a sniff of that, I'm going to push back. I'm sorry. Set this stuff aside for the bigger picture, the work of Christ. Be quick to forgive. Forgiveness should be the first thing out of your mindset. Be quick to resolve conflict. To mature in your understanding in the church means giving up your time to embrace life in the church. Church goes on the calendar first, not last. As much as possible. Because I can tell you that every event that happens at this church, Sunday morning or any other time, Someone, maybe it's me, maybe it's my wife, maybe it's someone else. Someone has put a lot of time and a lot of effort to make sure that those events happen. So support your brother or sister in Christ. Support the work of the church that you say you believe in because you vote with your feet. To grow as a church family, to mature as a church family, we need to be willing to take up our responsibilities at each stage of maturity in Christ. Refuse in your own life to get too comfortable with church. Ensure that in your own faith, you're moving forward. See, every time you face an obstacle in your faith, every time you face an obstacle in your walk in Jesus Christ, know that handling it the right way according to Scripture, that is one step closer to maturity in Jesus Christ. Those are the little things that God uses to bring you to maturity. There is a price to pay, and you better know this in this day and age. There's a price to pay for walking with Christ. But the rewards are eternal. Oh, they're so glorious. And learn what it means to sacrifice for the greater good. See, to be a healthy church family, it comes at a price. It takes time. It takes commitment. It takes sacrifice. It takes willingness to forgive one another. But the benefit to us all, it's eternal. The Golden Gate Bridge If you ever find yourself down in the land of the Fruit Loops, it's worth seeing. We went and saw it about five years ago, and it's a remarkable structure. I mean, it's really pretty cool to see. It's also the second most popular destination in the world for people to kill themselves. Roughly, once every two weeks, a person caught in a dark web of isolation and depression and hopelessness chooses to climb over the protective guardrails. And they jump, falling down 250 feet down into the cold water below. When they reach the bottom, they're traveling about 75 miles an hour. Most people obviously die on impact. Several years ago, a suicide note was found, written by an anonymous person, as they made their way to the Golden Gate Bridge. The writer said he was walking to the bridge with the intent on ending his life. But one sentence in the note, it leaps out to us. This person wrote, If one person stops and smiles at me on the way, I will not jump. He jumped. I want you to understand, as a church family, It is to understand that on any given Sunday, if there's 140 people in this building between the two services, at least one of them, probably more than one, are hurting and are having a very, very hard time. This is the problem with spectator Christians. We don't need any more spectator Christians here. This is the problem with selfish Christians, immature Christians looking to have their egos stroked. 
Family is about coming to serve. It's coming to minister to one another. And this goes on outside the building, outside the four walls of this building. It includes the ministry of hospitality. I'm not, hear me on this, looking for a meal with this. I'm not. I got all the food I need. My calendar's full. Several have asked what they can do to help here. Almost every person here, every single person here could have a ministry of inviting people over. Getting to know the people that you don't know. Looking for those in need of fellowship because there's some lonely people in this church. And have them over with the purpose of lifting them up. Don't look for anything out of it. Just look to encourage them and, and make them feel welcome in the body of Christ. Because the Bible is clear that as God's people, we are to have open homes and open lives that reach out to others. Writing to brothers and sisters in Christ, notice Paul's words in Romans 12, written to the brethren... He says, let love be without hypocrisy. Smack in the face to the modern church. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. Distributing to the needs of the saints. Given to hospitality. So if you're lonely, are you given the hospitality? That'll take care of your problem. If you can make a simple meal, nothing fancy, you can have a very important ministry in this church. You don't have to have a fancy house to have people over. You need to have a humble servant heart. Hebrews 13.2, a verse we always forget about. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Men, sorry. Let me ask you a question, men. Do you see anything in either of these verses that said this is only for women? In fact, let me give you one more passage from Titus chapter 1. This was a qualification for bishops, overseers in the church, which would be men. And look at what it teaches us. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but what? Hospitable a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, hospitable. Men should lead in this church, in this example. So if you have been taught in churches that it is the woman's role to show hospitality and have an open home, you've been taught wrong. You've been taught wrong. It's for everyone. It's the role of every person in the church to share their lives with others. Now, this can include a meal, but it doesn't even have to. It's caring about the needs of other people. It's one of the reasons we created a church directory. Now, some people tell me they don't want to be in there because they want to be left alone. I get it. I would love that, too. I want to be left alone, too. I really do. But I believe the Bible. See, that's the problem. I believe the Bible. And it says... As a believer in Jesus Christ, I have, not just because I'm a pastor, I have a responsibility as a Christian to care for the needs of my brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And it's not just because I'm your pastor, but because I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. And you have that same responsibility. There's a curious little passage in Luke 19 I was looking at this week. I want you to notice this text, starting in verse 1. It says, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. 
And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. He was a little dude, a despised tax collector, unable to see why, because he's short. Look at what Jesus says to him. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today. I must stay at your house. Whoa. Now, I bet Zacchaeus wasn't expecting this. Jesus was coming over for a little stay. But how did Zacchaeus respond? Verse 6. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. He received him joyfully. Now, we tend to make an exception for this because we say, well, he was hosting Jesus Christ himself. But why would we not care the same for the people of Christ? See, why would we not care? Peter taught on this. Look at 1 Peter 4, 8 through 9. He says, and above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. I wrestle with this passage. Notice, notice the attitude of the heart is to be love, not grumbling about it. Convicting for me, because just to be honest, this is one of my besetting sins. I love to grumble. I love to grumble. I grumble so much, I know scripturally that after I'm dead, my soul will not be with my body in the grave. But I'm telling you, there's a chance my body still may grumble. Because I sure, I really am sure I like to grumble. I walk around the house and grumble. Love is critical. It is a love that comes to us from Christ. It's not a love that comes from us. It's a love that comes from Christ. And it's a love that overflows out of our love for Jesus Christ for others. And I think the reason Peter encourages us to show hospitality without grumbling is because loving others and showing hospitality has a cost. It's not always easy for us. We have to invest some time. We have to give up our privacy. and We have to share something with another person. But God's heart is for us to show love to people in the family of God, to welcome them into our lives. Now, this isn't about just getting together with our little niche in the church. And this isn't about just having fancy dinners. This is about sharing our lives with others. It's about the love of Christ pouring through us and loving people, not about impressing anyone. Not about worrying how clean your house is, though some people could stand to clean their house a little bit. But it certainly is not about impressing people. I've told you the story before. It was late December of 1980 in Langby, Minnesota, and a man named Wally Nelson awoke to find the body of a 19-year-old girl named Jean Hilliard frozen solid as a log on his doorstep. She had apparently sat for six full hours outside, with a temperature of 22 degrees below zero Fahrenheit. Six hours sitting outside in that temperature. Now, Wally brought her to the hospital, and everyone could not believe it when she was revived. I mean, it was a miracle. She had no more damage than a few blisters on her toes. And she became an instant celebrity. She toured local churches. She went on talk shows because talk shows would fly her out to New York City to tell her story. She was the miracle girl from Minnesota. She was even on the Today Show where Tom Brokaw interviewed her. That was a big deal back in the day, if you remember. Once the attention died down, Jean said the experience didn't really change the trajectory of her life. Almost everyone she knew told her that she was saved by a miracle. She said she kept waiting for something dramatic to happen, but her life, sadly, was normal. 
She got married. She had kids. She had a family. And she moved to a mid-sized town in central Minnesota where she worked at Walmart. In her words, she said this, things might have turned out differently if in her memories of the six hours of being frozen in that yard, if she'd seen something dramatic. That's a person, by the way, looking for attention. That's a person looking for glory. And Jean said, it's like I fell asleep and woke up in the hospital. I didn't see a light or anything like that. It was kind of disappointing. So many people talk about that, and I didn't get anything. But what if the miracle was enough? See, what if living a normal life with ordinary kids in a regular town and working at Walmart is the reason for a miracle? I hope if you're coming here that you're not looking for the dramatic. I hope you're not. I hope you're content with the ordinary life that God has for us. See, we don't, we don't need anybody coming here looking for attention. Well, we don't. We don't need anybody coming here looking for self-glory. We need brothers and sisters in the family of God looking to glorify Him and looking to be servants to one another. Content with a church family that has flaws. Content with life in the church family as described in Scripture. It means not everybody's going to be involved in music. It means not everybody's going to get to preach a sermon. Most of you won't. Why? You're just not qualified. But that doesn't mean your service to Jesus Christ doesn't count. It doesn't mean that. We don't need dramatic. We need ordinary Christians living in church family doing the work, the ordinary work Christ has for us. So Christian, is that good enough for you? Is that good enough for you? What if the miracle of life in Christ in the family of God is enough? You have a copy of the church directory. You could wake up each day and pray specifically for a family in the church. You could take one family you don't know, key thing, don't know, or one family a week or one a month and try to get to know them and try to do something special for them. Not because you want something, not because you want to sell them something. We're not here to sell things to each other, but because the love of Jesus Christ compels you. Love, love is the greatest gift that you can give to this body of Christ. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, a phrase I read often in this church, I think it's highlighted in Scripture for a reason. Let's read it again. Paul says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not what? Love. I've become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, profits me nothing. Without love, Paul says, I am nothing. Without love, it profits nothing. And then Paul went on to say this. Love suffers long in his kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, because love never fails. Christians, I love you enough to tell you that if you are part of this church, you have a responsibility to your church family. 
And it starts with love. It starts there, but it doesn't end there. Because in this family, we expect the spiritual children new to the faith to grow up and mature. Get in your Bible and start growing up as a Christian. Because if you don't get into the scriptures and grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, you leave the rest of the family dealing with infants. And it stunts us and the rest of the family to what Christ has actually called us to do here. If you're part of the family, you should want to be together as much as possible. Because if not, then there's something wrong with the relationship. And if you're part of the family, it is part of your family obligations to look out for the other believers in your life, wanting what is best for them. And so I remind you again, as we close that in Ecclesia, the church, it's not a spectator sport. It's a family. Being part of a family has a cost. And when family members don't do their part, it makes the rest of the family out of balance, having to do more. Look for common ordinary work that Christ is looking for you to do. Because I believe that the miracle of eternal life, an ordinary life in the family of Jesus Christ is enough. That's why I'm here. Because I believe it's enough. And as the Apostle John said in 1 John 4, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879-259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word.